0: We are going to have a whale of a time this morning. That's sinking to new depths, isn't it? Hopefully we won't get swallowed up by all the distractions. (laughs) I'm sorry, I couldn't couldn't resist that. Um, I'm definitely sliding to new depths, aren't I? Anyway, um, we are in the book of Jonah, if you hadn't realized yet. And and for most of us, the book of Jonah is the story of someone who got swallowed by a fish, a big fish or a whale, and lit a candle in the whale. No, that's Pinocchio. (laughs) Uh, It's very easy to get the the stories mixed up. Um, A guy called Campbell Morgan said this, he says, Men have been looking so hard at the great fish in the book of Jonah that they have failed to see the great God. Uh, And so this morning, my hope and prayer is that, by God's grace, I'll be able to help you see the great God in this book, because we can get caught on, was there a real fish? Is this book meant to be a parable or stuff like that? I mean, if you're a Christian and you believe that Jesus died and rose again, and that God created everything with simply words, you probably shouldn't have a problem with a fish swallowing someone and keeping them for three days, let's be honest, I think you've got bigger issues if, that, if, if, if making sense to you is the level of what you believe in. There's some other challenges there. And the Bible actually doesn't give us permission to read this as a parable. It's actually presumed through other parts of the Scripture to be very, very real. But it's primarily about God's and His working with man and how God uses them rather than just a big fish. So last one, I promise you, let's dive in. Okay, I'm going to pray um, and that's the end of that, Lord Jesus. We do love you. Many of us in this room have a story where, for us to sing, <laughs> it's all good. As far as the east is from the west, aren't just words, but it's an amazing miracle how you've redeemed us, taken us from heading to destruction, and you've given us hope and a future. And we marvel at you. We say hallelujah. Praise the one. Worthy is the lamb. And I pray this morning that um, we would see you more clearly in the wonder of your grace. And that we would be stirred and helped and convicted to say yes to you in every way. And walk into the fullness of life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. (laughs) It's all going wrong this morning. There we go. Hopefully no more. No more alarms, hopefully. So what we're going to do is we're just going to walk through Jonah chapter 1. We're going to spend the next four or five weeks culminating in Easter in the book of Jonah. So I really want you to encourage you to read along with it as we go. Let's start Jonah chapter 1 verses 1 to 2. It says this, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked... Its people are. I'm going to camp on these few verses for a few minutes and then we're going to move on. So, just a few things about Jonah other than the guy who was swallowed by a big fish. Jonah was a well known prophet in some of the glory days of Israel. So God's people who you read about in the Old Testament, the Israelites, Jonah was a prophet when things were going really well for them. You can read about it in 2 Kings chapter 2. He was somewhat of a spiritual celebrity figure. He was a spiritual leader that you looked to or looked up to. And interestingly, he's the first prophet that was sent to the Gentiles, i.e. those who were not God's people in the Old Testament. Many of them spoke into Gentile nations, other nations. Most of us would be Gentiles. But Jonah was the first one who was actually sent out of God's people to go to those who were not God's, God's people at that point. So you've got this professional prophet of the nation, the man of God, if you like. And God comes to him and says, go to Nineveh. So just a little bit of information about Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. And it was huge. The city walls, it said you could have three carts going across it, three chariots at one point. It would take you about three days to walk from one side of the city to the other. It had amazing architecture and culture and entertainment, and it was thoroughly wicked and brutal. They were called the terrorists of old, and they recorded their history in hieroglyphics. When they would conquer places, cities, nations, wherever they would go, they would often skin alive, men and women, and then they would bury them in the sand, and they would pull their tongues out and stake their tongues in the ground until the people died. They would rape and pillage children and the ladies. They would let people languish in pain visibly. They would behead people, hang their bodies outside of the cities, and create a pile of of the beheaded people to say to those who were dead to oppose them this is what will happen to you and guess what they were arch enemies of Jonah's people so you have Jonah this leading prophet of God's in this nation sent to a people who had brutally mistreated his people And would likely kill him if he went there. This was not some nice assignment (laughs) that you get from God to go and church plant in Hawaii or something like that. Or Colchester, sorry. (laughs) This was to go to the depths of somewhere where people are against you and you are likely to be brutally murdered and treated. Jonah probably had relatives and family history where the Assyrians had done things like this to his family. And this is who Jonah was sent to. Now, I think we can have some sympathy for his reluctance. If you know the story, we'll get to it. But Jonah does not want to go to these people. Now, interestingly, the reason he gives in chapter 3 for not going is not that he would lose his life. Or not that they were wicked. I won't preach into it today. But he was worried that God would forgive them. (laughs) And he didn't want his enemies to be forgiven. He was resentful. There was a racist tendency in his heart. He was hurt. There was bitterness. And he thought, if I go and preach to them, God might forgive them. And he was not interested in that. That's for week three. Come back for that. But Jonah didn't want to go to the Assyrians. It made no sense for him. He probably held a deep bitterness. The other thing you see in these first verses is that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. I just want to say, I think God's word comes to us all in different ways. God loves to speak. Some of you have been spoken to, even in the worship, what the words we've sung, the truths we've declared, the contributions that people have brought. And I trust today as I preach, God's word will come to you and speak into your very heart. And how you respond when God's word comes to you is absolutely vital. You can sit in this hall for the next 12 months and nothing can change in your life because you can walk outside and forget the things that have so touched you. Or you can be take someone who stewards what God says to you. Say yes to God and work out how to respond to it. And we're going to see how Jonah responds to God's word. And it is very, very sobering and surprising. So let's read on. Professional godly man prophet sent to Nineveh, wicked city, to proclaim God's message of judgment on them. Verse 3 of Jonah chapter 1. But Jonah got up. And obeyed God. No, but he got up and he went in the opposite direction. Can you say opposite direction? direction. To get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found the ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Just a sub-note, you can't escape from the Lord as we will see, okay? But Jonah rebels and instead of going, as he was told to Nineveh, he heads for Tarshish which is something like two and a half thousand miles away okay this isn't just I'm not going there Lord this is I'm running as far away as I possibly can from what God is saying to me and this is this upstanding spiritual leader in his nation simply flat out saying no to God he might not have used those words but he ran away and he just says no to God and that is what rebellion is Rebellion is not when your life looks like a mess and it's better than the person next to you. Following Jesus is not primarily if your life looks better than the person next to you. Following Jesus is unreservedly saying yes. Can you say yes? Yes. To God. It's a surrendered, submissive posture. We say, I follow you, God, and I say yes. But Jonah says no in his heart. You and I often say no to God. In small and subtle subtle ways. And that is what rebellion is. Lordship is absolute and total or it is not lordship at all. It's leverage. And many of us live leverage lives with God as opposed to lordship lives. Lordship is when we say yes and we follow God and we trust Him and we obey Him even when it doesn't make sense. Leverage is I'll have God and I'll get my sins forgiven but I'll live life my own way. Or I'll confess my sins, so I feel a bit peaceful, but I'll just go out and live the same way again. You're leveraging God for feel good. You're leveraging your relationship with God to kind of think, oh, I might have a bit of hope and peace in that. That's not lordship. Lordship is saying yes, not saying no. So how are you saying no to the Lord this morning? Maybe you're in a relationship. You know it's not pleasing to God, but you're refusing to get out. But, 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 No not for a moment saying it's easy Jonah's assignment was not easy but this is a lordship issue maybe he's called you to sacrifice something maybe you cannot wait to leave colchester and go somewhere glamorous and further your career but you know god's calling you to stay here and be planted for a while and you're saying nope maybe god is calling you to go somewhere else and the thought of leaving family and friends and relationships and security and you're saying No to God. Maybe he's called you to sacrifice your money to meet a need, but you're not willing to give up some comfort or a pleasure. Maybe he's calling you to serve someone or someone else and to sacrifice your time, but you are choosing comfort and not getting out of your comfort zone so that you can control your life and not be overwhelmed, and you're saying no to God. How are you today saying no to God? And for some of us, I'm not sure now, but... Maybe he said yes to me at other times. I, and what you see in Jonah is if you want to say no to God, you'll always find a ship waiting for you to take you away. It is very easy to disobey God. There will always be a ship Waiting to sail. Do you notice Jonah? He found a ship leaving for Tarshish. Now, Tarshish was this place that was a mystical place that was considered where your dreams would be fulfilled. Where it was supposed to be full of culture. It might not have been the reality, but in ancient literature, you see, Tarshish was this idealized place of liberation. And finding all your dreams, it was the grass is greener on the other side place. Who thinks this grass is greener on the other side, you know? Every time I sit in these chairs, I think the grass is greener on the other side. But often we are chasing things that might not be reality, but they're there. And there's always a ship waiting for us. It's like when you play in the sea. Have you ever played in the sea and you spend hours in it and you suddenly look up and you think, my family is sitting on the beach over there, but I've drifted with the current we, we holidayed in Cornwall a few years ago, and the kids were body, body surfing. I think it's called bodyboarding on the waves. And they started over there, but, you know, the waves move, don't they, over there. And, and, and we looked up after a little while, and we couldn't see them anywhere. They were over there, bodyboarding and surfing, and they had just drifted. If you say no to God, it's really easy. There will always be an easy way out, and you will simply drift. And some of you said no to God a long time ago. And you've just drifted into stuff. And now you're not even aware of it. That it will be true of all of us in one way. Maybe you got hurt years ago. And you knew you had to forgive. But you said no then. And over the years, you've just drifted. And you've got harder and more embittered. Maybe you started to date someone and you knew it wasn't appropriate. And you knew God wanted you to get out. But you said no And then they moved in, and then you bought a house together because it was easier, more financially. The ship of financial ease came along, and now you're stuck, and you think, how did I get here? It all starts with us saying no to God. Maybe you've compromised at work because everyone else does. And now you're tied into this culture of subtle wrongdoing, and you feel God calling you to do something about it. But if you do, you'll get caught up in it as well. It's always easy to disobey God. There is someone whose full-time job is to make it easy for you to say no to God. The devil. Satan. Whatever you want to call him. Maybe you know that God has called you into very deliberate get-to-know- and-be-known community. But you got hurt once and you said no to ever being an in-depth community again. And you're more and more isolated and you, as a result you just drift. You don't Grow in your life because there's no one around you to get to know you, to encourage you, to protect you, to help you. Maybe you enter a small group and the people were really awkward and it was boring. Never happens, does it? And you said, oh, I'm not going to go again. But you know God's called you into that kind of community, not boring and awkward, but to real, real community. And sometimes you do have to give. Other times you do receive. It's easy to disobey. And there's always a ship making ready for your escape. And here's the big one: I felt peaceful about it. Nonsense. You know, if it's against God's word, you know, obviously God's peace is a guiding thing when you're doing things that are right, or sometimes you need wisdom. But when it's against God's word, you're not going to feel peace. What happens is you've been deceived, and your conscience has been numbed. Often there's a, a car. People say, "Oh, but I felt peace about it." Everyone's counsel around you is saying this is foolish. Don't do it or do this, but you've said no. He said, f- I feel at peace about it. Well, it's easy to have our consciences numbed and to be deceived. Devil 101, as I like to call it, in the Garden of Eden, didn't he say to Adam and Eve, don't worry, it's okay He's saying no to God. You know, just do it my way. In fact, it might even be better. He has always been trying to deceive us to say no to God. And he's clever. It's sometimes obvious, but most of the time it's really subtle in little attitudes in our hearts when we do it. Say no to God. That is leverage. It's not lordship. If you want to run from God, there will always be a ship ready to go to Tarshish. The grass is greener on the other side. For me personally, this was a massive change in my life um, in terms of kind of, ministry, you know, I felt called by God to ministry when I was young, and used to think about all these glamorous things, God would have you do, and I read a book called Under the Unpredictable Plants by Eugene Peterson, anyone read it? It's a great book, and he talks about ecclesiastical pornography, and he says we can always live Whatever your role is, me as a minister, that there's a better place, a nicer place, an easier place, a place where you will preach and Everyone just suddenly gets saved and hundreds come or a place where you'll be adored more or a place that's easier. And I remember thinking, having come from Zimbabwe to the UK, you know, Africans are horrendous. We come and live here, but we just wax lyrical about how amazing it is at home. And we're kind of as if we're miserable here. Just go home. If that's, you know, the Lord calls us to be fully planted where we are, doesn't he? If you believe the Lord is sovereign, He apportions the times and places you live. Even if you're going to move on and even if it's hard, where you are in this moment, you're called to all be. And when I read this, it was great conviction for me because I lived with this grass is greener on the other side. And I wasn't getting planted where I was and serving faithfully and thinking that this was the call of God. It made a big change to me. Now I love where I am. It's just how I live. Colchester is the best place in the world, I think. Well, it is for me and now might be wherever you, wherever you're from. Well let's, let's carry on with the text. Jonah chapter one, verses four to six. So we've seen kind of Jonah, the context of Nineveh. We've seen that Jonah disobeys God and says no to him. And the next bit you'll see is, "When you say no to God, well, God will always send a storm to grab your attention, because He is pursuing you. Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 to 6. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help, and they threw cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time Jonah was sound asleep in the hold, so the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at this time? He shouted, Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. So you've got the sailors scrambling, trying to appease all of their different gods, hoping one of them will hear them and and do something about it. Maybe they're splashing some holy water anointed by some TV celebrity from some special place or, you know, waving something around thinking, this will do it, this will, uh, uh, and nothing is happening. So they go down to Jonah and ask this question, how can you sleep? Just to notice, just as an aside, the book of Jonah is a literary masterpiece um, now, I'm not a massive scholar, but when you look at it, 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 it's got parallels with the prodigal son. In Luke 15, Jonah is the rebellious son in the first half, and the second half is the older, resentful, religious son. does the right thing, but his heart's not really in it. It's, it's this amazing picture, these parallels between the first and the second half. But, but also, this word goes down. You see it repeatedly. It's a fascinating piece of literature. So, he goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the boat, and later he goes down into the sea. It's a repeated word. The author is making a point here, and, and it's when it says he goes down and he's sleeping, it's a, it's a word for deep sleep, kind of like the sleep of death. And, and the author, the scholar say is making this point that there is the slippery slope. That we've talked about. You you go down. No, no, I'm just saying no. I'm just going to the port. No, no. Then you go down into the boat. And then you go down into the sea. And before long, you're down into the sleep of death. Because you keep going. And that's how sin works. Sin spoils and it spreads, doesn't it? Um, and it separates. You tell one little lie. You have to tell another and another. And that's how it works. Adultery at 40 begins with porn addiction in our 20s sometimes. It doesn't suddenly just happen. Obviously, it can But sometimes we're going down the slippery slope. Eating disorders in young adults often start with jealousy or comparison in teen years that's never dealt with. And there's a slippery slope on it. Not always the case. A hard or rebellious heart at the age of 50 or 60 can begin with subtle no's to God in the name of self-preservation in our 20s and in our 30s. Deep-rooted cynicism starts with grumbling attitudes coupled with a posture of being unapproachable when we are younger so no one ever can say to us hey listen you just grumble all the time and you're negative and you're cynical and by the time we get to 50 or 60 one of those people no one really wants to be around because it's utterly exhausting because you're just hyper cynical it can happen at 40 30 20 it's just there's the slope of things what you are sowing now will bear fruit it will bear fruit. Now praise God for his redemption. Hallelujah. He can heal and he can restore. But the effects of sin sometimes are hang around with us and we have to work through them through our yes. So what are you sowing into now? You know, is your sowing into a yes and will it take you to fruitfulness for the Lord? Or will it take you down and down and down into the deep sleep of death at some point? Well, we read on, Jonah is woken up. Jonah chapter 1, verse 7 to 10. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storms. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. You cannot hide from God, even from a roll of a dice. Why has this awful storm come on us, Jonah, they demanded. Who are you? What's your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. I'm running away from the Lord, but I worship the Lord. Why did you do it? They groaned. (laughs) Why did you do it? it Jonah, remember, he's this professional Christian. And he's saying, I worship the Lord, but everyone knows he's not fully worshiping the Lord. I mean, he's even told them he's running away from the Lord. You can't have both. Worship is saying unreservedly yes to the Lord. As Christians, we wonder why unbelievers get confused sometimes when they look at Christians who say, I love Jesus, he's died for me, he's my Lord, and then we live lives that do not say that. And we wonder why they look in and think it's a load of rubbish. Well, why would you do this? You say one thing, you live another way. Why would I even come into that? Or worse, maybe, these Christians come into an environment and think, I can be a Christian, have my sins forgiven, and live life my own way. And so they come in and they say, sing songs on Sunday because this is what they've seen amongst us. But they do their own thing the rest of the time and they wonder why it's not fulfilling. They wonder why it's not life in its fullness. They wonder why they're not overflowing with the wonder of God. It's because they've been birthed into something that says, I worship the Lord, but I'm running from Him. It's a sobering reality, this. And they groan, why did you do it, Jonah? <laughs> you think, if Jonah hadn't followed the Lord, maybe they wouldn't have been in the storm. Well, they wouldn't have. If Jonah had followed the Lord wholeheartedly, they wouldn't have been in the storm. Why did you say, I'm following God, but actually I'm running away from Him? And we see here that our, affection, our, our actions affect others. Your sin is never personal. Sin is never personal. First of all, it grieves God. I mean, that's, if you like, the definition of sin is we first sin against God. We grieve His heart. But then our sin always has impact on others because it affects who we are. We wonder why our kids become materialists until we look at our lives. We wonder why, as a parent, these are my examples, wonder why church is not a priority to our kids when we don't make it so. J.D. Greer puts it this way. He says, the greatest gift we can give to others is walking closely with the Lord. Isn't that nice? The greatest gift that you can give to others, friends, housemates, spouses, colleagues, is walking closely with the Lord. It's just, we know this in the natural, don't you? When you're on an airplane, whose mask do you put on first? Yours. So that you're in a healthy place to tend to the children. You need the life of God so that you can overflow in love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness. And you have to fight for that life in God because it's easy not to be those things. (laughs) It's so, so easy. I mean, how many of us this morning before we got to church, it wasn't like wonderful, peaceful and joyful and harmonious in all our settings. Lost the rag with each other, said something we didn't mean, we're a bit grumpy. I mean, maybe you're all super holy. Well done. God bless you. (laughs) It's really easy. We need to stay close to God to be a blessing to others. And maybe you've been running from God. Maybe you've ignored God. Maybe you're not even claiming to be a follower of Jesus. And your decisions have led you, Christian or not, to be in a bit of a storm. It might not be obvious to everyone else. The person sitting next to you might think everything's tickety-boo. If you're not from England, that means everything's good (laughs) and lovely but you just know there's a storm maybe it's something physical because of habits and things over the years maybe it's emotional you just you're in a storm maybe you think I've just run away from God and I haven't even been acknowledging God and now you found yourself in a storm you just cannot get peace you're troubled and you can't appease your conscience whatever it is what do you do in that situation well Jonah does have some good lessons for us even in this first chapter verse 11 And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to stop the storm? Throw me into the sea, said Jonah, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is my fault. And that's where you start. If If the Holy Spirit has touched something in your heart today, you start by saying, I'm responsible, Lord. I know this is my fault. I don't blame you anymore, God. I know I've made these choices. I know I've set my eyes on these things. I know I've coveted these things in my heart. I know I've put myself in these situations. I know I've said, no, no, no. You take responsibility and you say, I know this is my fault. You confess your sin to God and to someone else. And you say, this is what I've done. That's the starting point. You stop covering it up and you throw yourself into the sea of God's mercy that we sung about this morning. Wasn't it wonderful to sing of his mercy and his grace and his unfailing love? Do you notice that the songs were really well chosen? You know, casting into the sea, the storms all around me. God's the one who comes in the midst of them, his unfailing love, even as it was for Jonah. So you throw yourself into God's mercy. In the knowledge that God is pursuing you in love. Verse 13. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder. So they, you know, they're rowing harder. They haven't thrown him into the sea. Bless them. These are good guys. We know you're the fault and we're throwing cargo out, but we're going to try and stick with you, Jonah. All the harder. But the stormy sea was too violent for them and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded. Don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death, O Lord. Unbelieving sailors who have just called upon the Lord as their last hope say this, you, God, have sent this storm upon him for your own good reason. When God allows a storm or sends a storm into your life, it's for his own good reason, and that he is pursuing you in love. These unbelieving sailors knew God had his reasons. God's reason is not to punish you. It is to call you back to himself. And so we cast ourselves on the mercy of God. Say, God, I've been saying no. Maybe it's just really subtle. And you've not been deliberately fostering in your heart yes to God. Do you know it's a posture you can take every day? Lord, I say yes to you today. Now what? (laughs) If you wait for God to say it, then... Then you decide you're yes, you're on tricky ground there. You throw yourself to the mercy of God, knowing that His own good purpose, He is pursuing you. And we read in verse 15 the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged, can you say arranged? For a great fish to swallow God. The Lord has arranged your salvation, hallelujah, and your healing and your rescue. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and for three nights. As another preacher, J.D. Greer, puts it, Jonah is actually giving us a picture of real salvation here. Matthew 12 says Jesus was a prophet like Jonah. So this is a story about that. I hope you've read, Jonah's story is about Jesus. Jesus was a prophet like Jonah. He said that his death and resurrection were a fulfillment of this sign in Jonah. Jonah was cast out into the sea, and the sea became calm. He was swallowed by a fish and taken down to the depths of the ocean. Then three days later, he brought back to the land of the living. Jesus was cast out into the ocean of God's wrath at the cross, and the great tempest of God against our sin became calm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. You wonder why people sing with gusto. It's because some of us know God has calmed the wrath against us by pouring it all upon Jesus. He absorbed it. And the great tempest of God against our sin became calm. Jesus was in the heart of the earth for three days like Jonah, and then he was resurrected on the third day, as we sang. The difference, of course, was that Jonah went through all of that involuntarily because of his disobedience. Jesus went through it all because of our disobedience, voluntarily. He cast himself into the sea of the Father's wrath so that you and I would know peace and healing. Jesus did everything right that Jonah did wrong. Jonah ran from his enemies. Jesus ran towards them, you and I. Jonah was on a mission of revenge because he hated the Ninevites. Jesus came on a mission of rescue because he loved them and us. Jonah was all about his own self-protection. Jesus poured himself out in self-sacrifice. The storm in your life is not there to pay you back your sin, but to bring you back from your sin. Jesus was paid back for your sin. Jesus went into the storm of God's wrath for you, and he took it all. And that means God's wrath is no longer in the storm, only his love. The storm is not designed for retribution. It's designed for restoration. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, we invite you here yeah? just in these moments. We have so often said no to you. And some in this room, you don't follow Jesus. And there there's a storm coming because of your sin. And unless you cast yourself on the mercy of Jesus, the storm will come against your sin. But you need not, because today you can say, like Jonah, I know it's my fault. I need rescue. And you can dive in to the sea of God's mercy, not his, not his wrath. And some of us who do follow Jesus, and we do love him, the Holy Spirit is just, even now, putting his finger on things where we've been saying no to him. I wonder if the band can come up just as we come towards an end. And others, it's a weird mix that you're just wondering at Jesus for all he has done for you. So will you today just say yes to the Lord for things specifically that he's speaking to you about and for things in the future. And I felt as I was preparing particularly for some people who really resent where they are in life now. Whatever, you, you just, you hate it, you think you're in the wrong place. Maybe you blame God for getting you there and there's just no, there's no joy or peace. And Today I trust you find grace from God to know that his hand is on your life. And it's not that you don't take steps to get out. But even as you wait, there's great grace for you. Who knows what the Lord might do? Nineveh repented. Hallelujah. Jonah hated it. (laughs) He was grumpy. Who knows what the Lord might do, even when you say yes, and it takes a while for your heart to catch up. So just in these last moments, just if you need to confess something, just say, Lord, I... I just want to acknowledge I'm saying yes to you, but I have been saying no. Just between you and the Lord, why don't you just do that? Um, Listen, if you're not feeling anything, it's it's okay. It's not my job to put weight on you. It's the Holy Spirit's job. Um, If you're not sure what to make of it, you just think, you might just want to say, Lord, I've seen something here today of people who love you in a way that's a bit alien to me. Help me. Help me to do that. And for all of us, just say yes now in your own way, just where you are. Just say yes now to the Lord. Younger folks, say yes to honoring your parents. Some of you know God's nudging you to um, to go somewhere. It might be in the future, but you just need to say yes now. Maybe that's simply walking across the road to your neighbor and telling them about Jesus, or just getting to know them because they are incredibly annoying. But they need your love, and you know the Lord has prompted you. You just need to say yes. Some husbands, you need to say yes to going and apologizing to your wives and wives to your husbands housemates let's stand together we're going to uh, worship if you would like prayer for anything I'd love to pray with you please grab someone next to you you know to pray with you but come to the front and grab folks you've seen leading meeting today. We've got a bit of time before parents, you have to go to the children. Feel free to to just sit. Let's focus on Jesus. The, The wonderful, greater than Jonah, Jonah. You and I are Jonah. You and I are Nineveh. Those who rebel against God, and yet he has come to rescue us. So Lord, we come now to make much of you to cast ourselves upon your mercy afresh. Thank you that you work all things together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Thank you you wash us as white as snow. You remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. These are not just words we sing, but the reality we stand in before the almighty God. Amen. Let's worship together.